0: Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Happy almost New Year to you. I wanted to get this out before the Badgers played their Las Vegas Bowl game matchup against Arizona State tonight. Uh, at Allegiant Stadium or listen even if you're tuning into this after the bowl game it'll still make sense because we're talking all things Wisconsin Badgers football from the 2021 season and before the game I grabbed the guys from the Badgers post-game show on the Badgers Sports Network Tim Scott and Scott Nelson I grabbed them for about an hour long or so roundtable it's good to have you guys on the show
1: you understand you're interrupting our nap. I understand. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the game doesn't kick off until 9.30. And it's got, you know, uh, I was talking to Mike Heller the other day about this. When, brother, when you and I did the uh, San Diego, the Poinsettia Bowl, whatever that thing was. Remember? The Holiday the, Bowl, I believe. Holiday, Holiday Bowl? Bowl, yeah. Yep. Uh, we were doing the postgame show until, was it 4.30, 5 a.m. that day?
2: Yeah, something like that. It was like doing a game with Hawaii that a couple of years yeah. ago. They did that. It was, mm-hmm. boy, it's fun for the players and staff, but not so much fun back here at Madison.
1: And I think, Doug, those were, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, I think those were 10-30 kickoffs. Ooh.
2: Yeah, 10-30 yeah. I think is right, yeah. So yeah. well into the morning.
1: Yeah, We're seasoned professionals.
0: So that's 10.30 here, yeah. so that would have been 8.30. That's an 8.30 football kickoff on the West Coast, 11.30 obviously on the East Coast. But who's that good for when it's that late? I mean, I know it wasn't good for you guys, but an 8.30 local time kickoff, good grief. The, the,
1: the amazing, uh, I've got to share this story. I don't know if you remember this, Nellie, or not. I think it was one of the Hawaii games. We're doing the postgame show. We're blurry-eyed. It's like three thirty, four 4 o'clock in the morning. And we get a phone call. And it turns out it's a guy that was, um, was he on the training staff something when you played? And he was calling us from Australia.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Remember yep. so that? He, was, he was a manager. He was a manager. Was that's what it was, yep.
1: yeah. So yeah. It, was the nec- it was like lunchtime where yeah. he was at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: worldwide audience, right? Yeah, um, there you
1: go. Get us on the iHeartRadio app or what?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't do we have that back then, Doug? I don't I don't even know that, Tim, to be honest with you, if if we were part of that or not, but Holy cow, it was, it it was a, way back.
1: Yeah, that was a while ago. But that was a shocker for us when we had yeah. a former manager. We knew we had one fan. Yeah, that was it. That was the only <laughs> fan we had back then. Well, yeah, that right? was
0: a, against a Pac-12 opponent, uh, USC. This is against a Pac-12 opponent as well, Arizona State. Now, there are some players that are opting out of the uh, Arizona State, uh, on the Arizona State side, for tonight's game. But there aren't any Badgers that are voluntarily opting out. Scott, I'll start with you as a former player. It's been the trend. I think Christian McCaffrey started. It with Stanford several years ago, and uh, I and Leonard Fournette's name has been thrown in there as well, but he had an ankle injury, so I kind of give him a pass. But where do you come down on players skipping out? Kenny Pickett skipping the Peach Bowl for Pittsburgh, for an ex- uh, for example, you know the Heisman yeah. Trophy finalist. Where do you come down on that?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I guess there's there's two things for me. One, um, those guys are at an elite level; they need to protect themselves as much as they can because uh, they're going to be making a lot of money and they need that earning power. So y- you got to think about it from that standpoint of the decision these kids are making. On the flip side of that, I go back to Jonathan Taylor just a few years ago um, that played for Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl against uh, Oregon, and we all have seen what he's done this year. Um, I-, I guess it's just that personal of, uh, approach to that. The, of, of, I've, the blood, sweat, and tears with the brothers in that locker room, for me um, personally, would, would be too strong not to play with those guys one last time. Um, but in today's day and age, we see that with the transfer portal. We see that with guys opting out of bowl games. Um, there's A lot of things have changed. The, the scope and landscape of, of college athletics in general has changed. And, and as hard as that is for some old-time guys like Tim and I to, to handle, um, that's just the, the nature of the beast as it is right now. And, and we can agree with it. We can debate it. We can do it. But those are the kids. The, the, the kids are the ones that have to make that ultimate decision what's best for them.
0: Tim, what do you think?
1: I don't have a problem with it. I just don't. Um, and Scott's a former player. I look at it from a parent's perspective. That if that is my son, and if they're projected to be, you know, first-round draft pick, is it really worth the risk? Here's the difference, though. If my son is playing in, a in I want to say BCS, if he's playing in one of the playoff games, or it's, you know, if if J.T. Scott was not playing in the Rose Bowl, if that would have been the pinstripe bowl, do you think it would have been the same?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying, right? The the magnitude and scope of the game uh, certainly, I would think, would have an impact on it because you have a good game there, um, and that can increase your draft stock. It can also hurt it. Um but I think your point's well taken, Tim, with all that. Um, I mean, we even talked about this. You, you go back just maybe 10, 15 years, guys opting out of their junior year, senior year to, to go early in the draft. Now we've expanded further into transfer portal and opting out of bowl games. It's There's always something that, that these guys have to make decisions on. Um, and, again, you hope you're getting the, the advice from the people that you care about, love you, and have your best interest at heart. And um, then you ultimately, as the player, have to make that decision what's best for you, which is really hard. Um, where we see a lot of people talk about uh, it's you know these are the guys that are only out for them; they're not out for the team. They're they're taking, and that's true. Um, they they need to be because if they're going to be a top pick, that's multi millions worth of dollars that they can have. And, and again, the earning power in the NFL that um, we all know is is short lived when it comes down to it. I think the average life expectancy in the NFL might be three, maybe four years. So you got to hit it while it's hot. And if that means keeping your body healthy and not playing in the bowl game, then I guess that's the way you got to go.
0: Well, as playing devil's advocate, though, I mean, what does it say? And I, I think I agree with the, the the side that comes down on, look, you make a commitment for the season. Now, I, I don't give the coaches any pass either. I hate it when they leave before the bowl game as well. And a lot of that has to do with the early signing period. But – You make a commitment to your team. I don't care if you miss the entire season. If you're going to miss your entire senior season, okay, you're not counted on from spring practice on, but when the season ends and you're going to, in the case of Pittsburgh, you're going to the Peach Bowl or, you know, Chris Olave missing the Rose Bowl. I mean, these are good bowl games. They're not playoff bowl games, but what does it say to your teammates where you're just piecing out and leaving them to play in a big bowl game when otherwise, if you're healthy, you would have been counted on?
1: Let me jump in real quick, Scott, because you yep. have a son that's still active in the game. The way he looks at things today, because as you know, I've got plenty of sons in my life. The way they look at things now is vastly different than the way we look at things. There's part of me that says inside that locker room, yes, there's going to be a few guys that are those hardcore guys that are going to go, hey, man, come on, we're in this till the end together, Right. But I think there's also a growing number of guys who get it. They understand it. You know, they don't like it, but they understand what that player is doing. Or am I wrong in that assumption?
2: No, I I think in the locker room, the guy. I mean, that's the place where you really you know one another. You, again, you go through winter conditioning, you go through spring football, and then, then you have a season together. You understand the time commitment these guys are put in. Um, and if you have a guy that's trying to do this that isn't committed, that kind of goes half. Halfway through the the season and says, you know what, I'm I'm done. Um, if a guy gives uh, lackluster effort, right th- during those conditionings and workout periods, um, the respect and, and uh, appreciation you have for that player diminishes. If you have a guy that busts his tail, is leading the group all the time, that is doing the little things, is up early, staying late, watching and doing all that stuff, I think the, the respect factor that your teammates have for you is like. He's put in his time. I understand what he's trying to do. Again, like you said, Tim, I don't like it. I want to finish one last time with him because it's the last time I'll get a chance to do this with these guys. Um, but I understand and, and respect what he's doing because he's earned that on how he approached uh, academically things, how he's approached athletically, um, and he's doing things the right way in, the, in his best interest. I think there's, the stomaching of, of some of those things is much easier when you have a guy that, that has done all that he can uh, during the time that he's been with you, as opposed to a guy that just kind of gotten through because he's just been a little bit better and, and just you know had that attitude like I'm a little bit better and uh, I haven't really earned this piece and that, that respect I think is the big piece for me.
0: The final thing that I'll say about all of this because I've certainly said my piece, but you can get injured at any point. And the example that I bring up is former Badgers fullback Brady Ewing. He got to the NFL. I think he was drafted, if I'm not mistaken, in the fifth round. He was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons. He goes mm-hmm. through training camp, goes through all the mini camps, goes through all the rookie orientations. He's playing special teams, as many rookies do, in their first preseason game. And on the opening kickoff, he tears his ACL, and he's out for the season. You can get hurt yeah. any time. But he got paid. Yep. And oh, he, he got, got drafted. drafted. Oh, he got paid.
2: That's the whole thing, yep. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the nature of the beast, whether it's basketball, football, hockey, baseball, or all those things. And that's why, I guess, anytime you're, you're a competitor, an athlete, you understand that's the risk that's inherent with what you're trying to do, which is, again, kind of goes back to what Tim just said. You got paid. Yeah. And that's the piece. Even you mentioned McCaffrey, right? The dude's been hurt off and on throughout his entire career in the NFL, but he got paid a ton of money um, based on what he did. guys have long-term. If they protect their brand, right, if they protect themselves, maybe from a few extra hits to eliminate potential risk and potential injury before you even get picked. I understand that again, I don't like it. (laughs) I I personally would want to play with my guys one last time. Um, even understanding that risk of injury, uh, yet if you're going to throw, um, and you're potentially number one, one through five or whatever pick, where you got a chance at a $25 million signing bonus, you got a guaranteed career rookie contract, uh, and then you have a ten-year, or fifteen-year career. You're going to sign two or three more contracts. You, there's a whole lot of money that's sitting on the table right there, and, and maybe this name, image, likeness will change some of that. Um, but Jeepers, I I get the players and I get the the locker room. Um, it's a really tough decision, which why it has to be down to that individual and the, the family and um, understanding where what's best for you. I I think when you look at social media now, I mean, certainly we didn't have that. We had the old newspaper uh, that I think still gets printed. I don't even know that. Um, (laughs) I think the
1: What is that you speak of, Grandpa? Uh, Right. Uh,
2: We're saving the earth, we're saving trees. Um, I I think it's a great experience for these guys, right? How many times are some of these guys won't even get a chance to travel? To a different state once they get back home or wherever they land um it's a whole experience in vegas as if you've been out there right with, with the strip and um so many different things happening um but you're the main show in town whether it's pasadena whether it's vegas whether it's down in texas right, right? you're you're the biggest show in town and your fans travel especially with the destination like like las vegas um I only had the chance to do it one time. For us, it was incredible because it was the first time and my last time. Um, I think the players really appreciate uh, what we'll, we'll call being catered to um, because they're, they're taken care of. The Bulls do a tremendous job of making sure that the teams have what they need, and, and not just Wisconsin, but any team that's at a bowl game to make sure the players get um, Couple of gifts that that's a memory form. Then um, then you have the memory again of playing one last time with your team and against an opponent that you might not normally get a chance to play against. So um, aside from that, you, you know you always hear about recruiting from coaches, a chance to get some more national exposure, uh, maybe a chance to recruit some kids that are in that area that's local. Um, they get a chance to see you play firsthand. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into that, but when you paint the whole picture, um, it's an extra game. The guys get a chance to play. They get some gifts. They have a little fun. Uh, they get some time out on the town, and, and they get a chance to, to showcase themselves one last time uh, as a full group together. And I think that's, again, for me, I only did it one time, and that's the memories that I have. is, is Going out on the town, having fun during a game uh, certainly helps when you win. Um, but you put in so much hard work and effort that this is your payoff. Um, and it's a payday for the season. I think that's that's the, the beauty of being a player and having a chance to showcase it one more time.
1: You know, the uh, one of the hidden secrets of the uh, bowl games, and the Badgers now have done it 20, uh, 20 straight years, as you guys know. Scott, it's the bowl practices. It's the practices, I don't mean the one when they get to the destination, but I'm talking about the weeks in between where the guys that play during the regular season, they're on rest. They do very little. Their bodies are beat up. They need to recover. They'll get back and rolling again when you get closer to the game itself. But it's that two to three weeks where these coaches get to work with the guys, young guys, and Badger football history is filled with stories about guys that, you know, through these bowl practices, position switches were made or different things. I always think about Owen Daniels. Where Owen Daniels was a quarterback, and during a bowl prep, uh, those weeks they threw him in a tight end, and he parlayed that into a pretty decent NFL career. I think, Scott, yes, that's kind of, that's kind of the hidden gem in there. Is that couple of weeks where these coaches get to work with guys that they don't during the regular season?
2: Yeah, you know, a great point, Tim. Um, y'all can almost liken it to a few extra spring uh, practices. Um, the, the developmental piece. You probably have, you know, two to three weeks where kids are finishing up finals and then practicing and workouts, getting healthy in the training room, and um, you can rest your main guys. Um, but I, I do think you're right, Tim, with with having that experience and exposure for those young kids to put something on tape for coaches to evaluate. Um, to, hey, we got a kid here that's growing. Like you mentioned with Owen Daniels, he's was a quarterback. He understands the offense and system. He looks at things a little bit differently when he's playing wide receiver because of his training as the quarterback. And then it's ultimately making us the sell to the kid. Like, Hey, if you're making a position change, here's what we're seeing and here's why we want to do this. We think it's beneficial for you and for our team and for those young guys that are hungry to finally play that, you know, maybe two or three years worth of their high school career. They, they were starters on a varsity team. Now that are riding the pine and, and red or whatever the case, um, it's a chance for them to actually play and showcase some things. And, um, start to establish some camaraderie with your teammates too. to, to, um, get out there and practice with guys, communication, understanding what, uh, is in front of you, recognizing formations, um, recognizing blitzes, all those things that, that, you really have to train your eyes, um, to understand and to see begins at that time. I think that's a great point, Tim, with, with those, those hidden practices that those young guys get a chance to get a, I I know they do. And, uh, I know they pay off, um, And the more that you can get, the better off you are.
0: Another one of those position switches that worked out pretty well from a former quarterback and tight end. They flipped him over to defense. He's had a decent career. Playing on Sundays, a guy by the name of T.J. Watt. He's he's done okay for himself he's as well. Right. Yeah, he's he's done well. This is Badgers Roundtable. Uh, Doug Russell, along with Tim Scott and Scott Nelson. Uh, Tim, you've been you mentioned it twenty straight years of going to uh, bowl games. Scott played in a game, but you've covered a bunch of these. Uh, w- what are some of your favorite bowl memories uh, of covering some of these games?
1: Uh, let's see, favorite bowl memories—the ones that we can share during the roundtable segment or not. <laughs> you know, uh, we were talking. Your discretion. Yeah, we were talking a friendly show. Yeah, family. <laughs> Friendly, <laughs> friendly show. Um, we were talking about uh, the. Fr- I'll give you two that come to mind right away. One of them was uh, when Joe Thomas switched to defense, and he broke his leg in the bowl game. Mm-hmm. And I tr- was it against Auburn. Maybe I think it was
2: Auburn. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: And I remember being in the post game a lot in the locker room with Mike Lucas, and Barry and the assistants were talking to Joe's family. And everybody was upset, you know, but they weren't upset because, you know, why did we switch this guy? It was the exact opposite. They're all mad because they didn't finish the game and they you know, they felt bad for Joe and they're like, it's okay. It just it happened. So that's one of them. Um another one was I'm trying to remember, it might have been Auburn again. It was where Barry uh had the cane and he attacked a garbage can in the locker room at halftime. <laughs> halftime or post game, one of the two. And uh, that was pretty impressive. And the final one for me, we talked about it the other day, uh, was, was the Badgers and UCLA in the Sun Bowl. And the space was so small that the legendary Van Stout and I had to do the pregame show from a card table outside. <laughs> and <laughs> it was about 28 degrees that morning, right? But it's about 2 above back in Madison. So when I'm on the air and my teeth are chattering, I'm getting the business from the guys back in Madison because it's 28 degrees because when it's two above, it's a balmy 28 degrees in (laughs) in El Paso, Texas. But it wasn't. It was very cold that morning. And they won the game. And they won the game. Yeah, that was um, Freddie Mitchell, right, was on UCLA at that time? I think think, he was their big star. Yeah.
2: And I think that was like the third time we played UCLA in like, Six years. It was something ridiculous. It was something crazy. The Rose Bowls and and that game, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I forgot about my Keith Jackson story, too. Yeah, please. Keith Jackson story. Um, My first bowl game, Uh, 98, 99, Rose Bowl. Okay. I was doing high school football in another part of the state. And then a year later, I'm do, I'm in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. This is how weird my life had gone. Pretty in a decent year.
0: trajectory, and I'm not going to lie.
1: So I'm there really, really early in the morning. Want to take everything in, right? Yeah. And I walk out of the my my seat in the press box because the the broadcast where Matt and Mike and the others were at. So I came out and I turned to my right and I and I was face first with this man. And I'm six two and a half. This guy was a lot bigger than me, probably close to six five. I looked up. And it was Keith Jackson. The great Keith face Jackson. Face to face with Keith Jackson. Hello there, young fellow. And that's exactly, pretty much what he said. He said, Good morning, good morning, sir. How are you? I said, All I could look at him was, Good morning, Mr. Jackson. Right. And uh, But it was great. Yeah, that was one of my claims to fame that I, I ran over. Nearly ran over Keith Jackson. (laughs) That's a great story. Yeah, or he ran over you. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right, let's get into the Badgers season. That was 2021. I guess, Scott, let me start with you. Uh, Look. Last year, with all the stops and starts with COVID, and COVID has come back in a different form, maybe a more virulent, but perhaps less violent uh, manner with the Omicron, so it, if you've been vaccinated, it seems as though uh, you're more able to, to get over the Omicron variant than perhaps the Delta variant, but when you look at all of the other bowl games that have been canceled so far this season, and you look at what we're going through right now, how remarkable is it to you that this Badgers team was able to play a full schedule and tonight's bowl game.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, you learn a lot of things um, based on what you did before. And um, last year, as I mentioned, we had a number of games that were canceled. College football did in general sports in general uh, did. And I think we're learning how to manage that much better, how to keep people safe, um, fans included. And hopefully people take that to heart to continue that, right? The the players, again, when you're around your family, right? And, And, team is much like a family, whether it's basketball with, with 20 guys or football with 85 or 90, um, you got to take care of each other. Um, and that's counting on your teammate to make sure that they're doing all they can to be safe and healthy with the people that they surround themselves with. And and you have to do the same. Um, I think when you see some of the bowl games that have been canceled, bulls trying to replace, um, or move teams around that may have been practicing, um, there's a lot of things that go into this whole thing, right? Even outside of the scope of football. But when you have uh, some leadership with the way Barry did it last year before he stepped down and, and McIntosh we know is, is not making the trip because of COVID, I, I think there's certain protocols that you have in place that, that you, you as an administration have to sell your coaches, your coaches have to sell to your players, and your players are the ones who have to execute it, much like a game plan. Um, and if they take that to heart, then you're going to be just fine. Um, you, you circle the wagon, you kind of keep things in house You make sure guys are not doing things they're not supposed to do. And um, if something does happen, you can isolate and break things down to where the, the mistake happened to keep people um, removed from one another. And, and, you know, if, if you have a, a chance to still play with the number of players you have, then great, then go for it. Uh, and that kind of goes back to some of the previous conversations we've had of preparing younger guys that maybe you have to step in because of what happens uh, down the road. But if the UW takes care of the things they're supposed to, if Arizona State takes care of the things they're supposed to and really takes this whole thing to heart um, and prepares as best they can, not only for the game, um, as, as we see, um, what's out in the product in the field, um, then I think you got a chance with, with a lot of guys that, that uh, really understand what this is all about. And, and if you're not healthy, you can't play. Uh, so to be able to manage what they did from last year, learning from those mistakes, correcting those things to what we've seen throughout the course of this season this year starting with Penn State all the way through um, it's pretty remarkable when you have that many guys that, that you you've only had a few players and maybe been shut down because of uh, the need to to be on uh, isolation for about what is it 10 days or whatever it is so um, again players got to take it to heart they're the ones that have to execute in the field they got to execute that game plan same thing as it is
0: with with uh, covid 19 I think the word is relief as much as anything tim
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I think so, too. I know that um, we've got guys, obviously, who are in Las Vegas. Um, Matt LaPay was on one of our local shows this week and said that they feel confident that everything is, is going according to plan and that things, knock on wood, will go off without a hitch, but we'll have to wait and see. We probably really won't know Doug until almost up to game time. You know, it's interesting when I look back at this season, I was just looking at the schedule and how things shook out. Uh, This team will never get their due because of how the season finished, but they were one in three and they were spiraling and we know there were some changes in the locker room that occurred this Mm -hmm. season. Uh, Players departed the program during the season, which I know we're in the COVID era. So things are a little bit different than they used to be, Uh, not to mention the transport portal, but this team ripped off seven straight wins. Where they could have went sideways, and we saw so many programs this season go sideways, and somehow this team righted the ship, leadership stepped up, and they won seven straight games. It started with that October ninth game against Illinois. Um, I'm I'm on Mike Heller's side with this, Scott. I think they ran out of gas. I mean, you and I were we were we were bitterly disappointed, as all the Badger fans were how this ended because what was at stake in the Minnesota game. But now, after some reflection. I'm with Heller. I think this team just simply ran out of gas. They did.
2: Yeah, I you know when we were bummed, I mean when we I remember doing the Notre Dame game right down at Soldier Field and the frustration level that that we had that our fans had, um there's a lot of soul searching that that as we we had talked through that post game um a lot of soul searching that had to happen so that, that things didn't fall apart. We even brought up Clemson, right? They've been in the national title hunt yeah
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For
2: so many years in a row and they they fell off, right? Big time. Um, at least from what we're used to with them. The guys rallied. We I called it circling the wagons, um, and making sure that the players in house hold each other accountable. Not so much the coaches, but you look across the locker room at the guy sitting next to you and um you gotta hold each other accountable. And I think that did take place. Um I think there's some things too. not only run out of gas and at the end of the year, right. You have a number of guys that are injured um, that are fighting through some aches and pains that happens every single year. But we lost a number of guys, for example, at running back, right. Two or three guys dismissed from the team. You have another guy that gets hurt and you've got a freshman um, that had to shoulder the load. And from the moment that Malusi got hurt, I think Tim, you and I talked about this is can Braylon handle the, the, the load that he's going to have to carry. Um, he's a big physical specimen. He's a special running back at a young age, but we saw him dinged up by the end of the year. Uh, and, and I even think guys probably, um, you, you heard a lot of things at that time, the flu bug and colds, and, and not only you run out of gas physically, but now you throw that on top of it with guys being hurt um, uh, with, the, with the flu and, and all those things on top of it culminate in in a game against minnesota that we all want to forget because um, that wasn't our best effort i mean by, by any stretch and what was on the line with the big 10 championship potential playing in that game and um, bowl game implications all sorts of stuff it's certainly not the way that we wanted to go and i guarantee it's not the way that guys want to go um but when when you fight and battle for that hard because you dug a hole early in the season yeah I, th- I think you do wear out and physically you start to break down and and uh, I think that's part of what we saw at, in the last game of the year against Minnesota.
0: Well, let's talk about that hole before the seven-game winning streak. After the Michigan game, I think, Scott, you and I were doing one of the post-game shows, and the Wolverines beat the, the Badgers 38-17. to They fall to that 1-3 mark. We saw... Time after time, you know, this was the Badgers' worst start since the 1990 season, Barry Alvarez, uh, Alvarez's first year as Wisconsin head football coach. Now, you didn't see a seven game winning streak ahead of that. Obviously, there were a couple of difficult games. Uh, you still had Iowa, you still had Purdue, you still had, you know, Northwestern, which always seems to play Wisconsin tough, uh, even though it didn't necessarily happen this year. But after that Michigan game, how concerned were you? What was your level of concern? with this Badgers team after getting off to, you know, the start that even though the schedule was difficult, nobody I don't think necessarily saw one and three with this group that was coming back.
2: Yeah. I I, I mean, for me personally, I was like, what the heck is going on? Um, you know, is is and Tim, you and I talked about this in some of our shows too, that is there, um, are guys getting along? Are the coaching staffs getting along? Are the players getting along? Are they doing all that they can, or did they come in feeling like, "Hey, we're really, really good," and, and pump up their chest, but then back it up with the work ethic? A um, lot of questions through that, right? The, we we even talked about offensive game planning, very, very vanilla compared to what we've we've seen before with Joe Rudolph and in a Paul Chris Ludd offense. Um, lots of questions that way. The the one thing that kept sticking in my mind was the way the defense was playing uh the way jim leonard and his staff had that defense geared up to to play championship level football um again we talked about cambrill and allen hold up what could our defense help hold up we saw that against notre dame they, they faltered late in the fourth quarter uh, we saw that even with penn state the fumbles and things and positions that our offense put us in we, we couldn't sustain that and hold that so as good as they are, can they sustain something long enough for our offense to get the ship righted to be able to to score some points? And, and now we're playing good complementary football. Um, I had a lot of questions at that point. Are, are the right personnel there? Do we recruit, recruit the right guys? Are the coaches putting a game plan together that the kids can execute um, at at a winning level? Um, lots of things. that you, When you're losing, right, it's easy to nitpick mm-hmm. all those little things. But that's all the stuff you got to take a look at. When you are losing, like where can we get better? What what do we need to do as a staff, as our players, as a weight staff, training staff? I mean, you're looking and analyzing every little piece of it, guys. And and that's you, again, you need the players to buy it. You got to find a way to sell it to them, and you got to give them something that's good that they feel good about, um, that they can go out and, and then um, they they went on their run. And I think once you start winning, that cures a lot of questions, a lot of pains, and Um, guys not pointing fingers at each other but rallying with each other and and that's you can get to that point you got something special Um, but it takes a lot of hard work which again kind of goes back to our point of uh, these guys doing all that they can and then eventually running out of gas at the end of the season but they earned their way to a bowl game it's not a super flashy bowl game from what we're used to a lot of guys older guys watching this thing it's not um, a flashy bowl game, but but it is a bowl game. Continues the streak. It's something you talk about and um again, another chance for these guys to play together that um early in the year I wasn't sure was gonna happen.
1: Two things real quick from me during that stretch um that got better as the season went along. The offensive line <clears throat> was not good. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They right. were they were an awful is a compliment during the first four <laughs> games of the season. Yeah. And, and some will disagree with me on this point, but it was the main topic or one of the main topics of conversation all season long. It will continue to be through the bowl game and the off season. That's the quarterback play of Graham Mertz. And, you know, at times he looked really good. But I think back to the Penn State game. How many times were we in the red zone and we couldn't get it in? Um, I mean, that's the game for me when you look at the schedule, Scott. That's the one that haunts you, and it's the first game out of the box. But
2: Yeah, without a doubt.
1: I, I think what happened when the Illinois game, there was all that drama and stuff going on. I think basically what happened was we said, you know what? Let's go back and do what we do. And they stopped trying to throw the ball around the jet sweeps. Paul seemed like he, because he was back calling plays again. He, in a sense, dumbed everything down, went back to basics, and let's just run the football. Let's just do what Wisconsin does, which is run the football. And as you pointed out, Jimmy had the defense cranked up. And so if they were able to, you know, some long, time-consuming drives that gave the defense a little, you know, breather once in a while, I think that's why they ripped off seven games in a row after that. Uh, More than anything else, better offensive line play, and they went back to basics.
2: Yeah, I, the, one, of, one of the basic things of defense, right? You want to create turnovers. We finally started getting that. That put our offense in better positions to score. And at some point, as a player, you just got to say, you know what, screw it. I, these guys are busting their tail. They're giving us the ball back, and we're not doing anything for them. Um, so I think there's a little bit um, of, an, of an onus on yourself to make sure that you are ready to go and, and doing your part. Because um, trust me that. During the course of a game, even at the NFL, right, if offense is doing really well and scoring points, the defense can't stop you. At some point, somebody from the offense can come over to the sideline and the defensive area and tell you that you better get your act together. Might use some different terminology than that. Um, (laughs) What do you mean, Scott? Yeah. I'm really show. Um, And I know from working down on the sideline and, and watching things that that happened with the Badgers and defensive guys going down the offense. And and it's not so much of your point fingers at your teammates. It's oh, so, we got to rally here. Let's go. We're doing all we can, but at some point we, we need your help. We can't do this on our own. And again, that accountability piece, um, when it's coming from your teammate as opposed to from your coach speaks a whole lot more strongly to you as a player, uh, when it's from your, your, maybe your roommate on the road could be your roommate at home. Um, it, it means something, and I think those guys finally took that to heart and got things going.
0: He certainly had an up-and-down season. Uh, you look at that – you mentioned the Penn State game where they had trouble scoring in the red zone, and that was a 16-10 to 10 defeat. I go to the Notre Dame game where the Badgers actually had a lead in the fourth quarter. Kickoff return, and, a, and, or as a punt return, one of the two. Yeah, it, it was, still sucked. Yeah, it did. That it did. It was a kickoff <laughs> return after the Badgers took a 13 to 10 lead yeah. in the fourth quarter. The final score. I mean, it was 13 again. Fourth quarter. The yeah. final score: 41 to 13. Graham. After the game, I talked to him down at Soldier Field. He was. He said he was just trying to make a play happen. Well, a couple of those plays wound up being pick sixes. Not his finest hour as a Badgers quarterback, but gradually got better as the season went on. But did he ever get past, in the fans' eyes, in your opinion, as someone who interacts with the fans on the post-game show, did he ever get past that Notre Dame perception of a quarterback that that wasn't living up to the billing?
1: I don't think what he ever. Maybe I think what he what he hasn't gotten past is that he was the highly. He's the highest recruited quarterback in Wisconsin history. Um, and the I, fans know it too. I liken it to uh, the Green Bay Packers. AJ Hawk was a was a very, very, very good linebacker for a long time for the Green Bay Packers. Correct? Yeah, That's, he was great. If you ask Packer yeah, fans, did he live up to where he was drafted? Number five overall, I believe. Yes. Would you say that he was? The I, average. The I aver- think he did, but I, I think he did too. But the average Packer fan would say, "No, that was a wasted draft pick."
0: Well, they wanted they wanted a Hall of Famer, and I think Vernon Davis was drafted number six, and he was a very good tight end for uh, for a long time with San Francisco. And the Packers could have used a tight end at the time, so maybe that that might have played into it.
1: And Scott will attest to this: is that um, during the course of the season, we would lean on the fact that Graham Mertz is growing as a quarterback. Okay, but there was a point, Scott, and maybe you remember the game where (laughs) I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You had enough. <laughs> you did. You had enough. And I was defending him. I remember this. I'm defending him and you sort of cut me off and said, there's a point where you've got to play. You've had enough snaps now. You you you've been under center for 2 years now. Covid or not, you've had plenty of snaps. You should be able to direct this offense. And there are still times where he locks on receivers. There are still times where I think back to the Minnesota game where I think it was the final throw of the game where Paul Chris throws his hands up in the air like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And that's the stuff from a fan's perspective, doesn't it, partner, that drives them nuts. Yeah,
2: Yeah, well, it drives all of us nuts, right? We've had some great quarterback play, not only at the UW, but you mentioned the Packers. I mean, we get spoiled watching some tremendous players play. Um, and I, st- I say this to a bunch of my buddies like Russell Wilson ruined the quarterback position at the UW forever. <laughs> Until you find <laughs> another guy like that, right. I mean, he's a special, special player. Now, granted, he had a heck of a team around him, too, um, where I don't think this team is at that caliber of that Rosewell team that Russell took out there. Um, there's, there's a lot of things that go into his play early on, right? One of it is an offensive line that was makeshift, shuffling guys in and out early in the year. Um, part of it is his. Mental preparation um, might not have been where it needed to be. The some of the things that drove me nuts early in the season, Tim, we talked about this. Was he's taking a snap from center, he's handing off a football to a running back. It's not just what he's done at the UW in a year and a half or two years that he's been here. Um, This is what he's done since he started playing football, and those are things that that I get frustrated with. Like that's a simple fundamental. Like learning to to run backwards doesn't take that long as a defensive back. You, you you do it like 15 20 times and you feel pretty comfortable with it well that'll be the same as, as handing off a football um now there's certain things with the mesh and the new running back and Malusi and some of that but that ought to have been stuff that, that had been worked out from spring to fall camp not something that we saw rearing its ugly head against penn state or against michigan or anything that way um I honestly think for for Graham, um, giving him a pass for their first first couple games was fine. After that, yeah, frustration level sets in. Like, this dude is not doing what he needs to do to prepare. Um, And I think some of it might have been the whole name image likeness. We saw a lot of guys get involved in that. Graham was one of the first guys at the UW to put that out there. That certainly doesn't endear yourself to your fans um, when you don't produce. Um, There are growing pains, uh, without a doubt. Um, But... His inability sometimes to check down the receivers, as you mentioned, Tim, um, he locks on no guy. Jake Ferguson is one of his main targets. We never really got Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor involved in the offense until later, maybe game four or five, uh, really where we started to see them produce and make some plays, at least consistently. Um, You got to be able to do that. You got to be able to stretch to the outside part of the field, intermediate routes, and then take a shot down the field. We just weren't getting guys open. Um, And Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, those teams had dudes that could cover our guys, uh, quite honestly. And then when that happens, Graham starts throwing off his back foot. You got some different – he gets a little happy feet. He scrambles out of the the pocket where he's protected. Now he puts himself in exposure. And then just to kind of tie in things, Doug, where you started this with the Notre Dame game, um, Notre Dame defense did a great job of beating him on two of those throws that were Mm -hmm. one with the pick six. He, He just sat and waited. He knew exactly where Graham was looking to go, uh, and he just waited for him to throw the football and broke in front of it. That And when things are going bad to worse, uh, to ugly, um, when you're losing like that pretty quickly in a short amount of time, yeah, you press yourself. You get you get a little tight. You get a little uh, um, tunnel vision with what you're trying to do, uh, and Notre Dame was just teeing off. Um, and Graham had a lot of soul searching to do and I'm – the beauty of what UW does now for all their student athletes is they have a sports psychologist. I hope Graham went and saw him and had a chance to talk to them about what's happening and the pressures he's dealing with. Cause uh, as frustrated as we get with us, I, and I've said this to you many times, Tim and with my own kid, like they're 18, 19, 20 years old and they got the weight of the world on their shoulders. Cause they got a bunch of 50 or 60 year old dudes that are paying money to watch them play. Um, they get frustrated mm-hmm. when they screw <laughs> up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we're, we have very short patience. Uh, that, that, that fuse goes pretty quick, right? Um, and it's hard to take that step back and realize what these young kids are going to or through. Uh, and at the same time, oh, yeah, you got to carry 13, 15 credits worth of school and, and all this stuff. Um, that many times, it's the first time these guys have gone away from school. And I'm not, I'm not discounting Graham's play because that certainly has to improve still. Um, but there's a lot of things that these young guys are going through that, that I think we sometimes forget as fans and, and even as a former player that I had to go through that I forget that part too because um, we're so used to seeing these guys compete at a top level uh, through this program. And, and when you don't see it, a lot of questions come up and, and um, we have very short patience uh, for that because of the, the way this program was built, how it is built and the foundations that it's built on and that can go back many, many years, right? Even back to when Pat Richter was playing in the '60s. Um, a lot of blood, <clears throat> lot, excuse me, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into this whole thing to rebuild it to where it once was, and, and then to be able to sustain it for this long um, is pretty incredible. So again, our that fuse is short, uh, in that we sometimes got to take that step back and, and just breathe a little bit on our own, so so we don't um, get a little bit carried away with our own selves.
1: Did you guys see the story this week about Braylon Allen and Johnny Davis? And that they're two two arguable, arguably the biggest athletes on campus, right? Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. never met. You would have thought somewhere really? along the line that they would meet. That's illogical. And the story was they're big fans of each other, but they've never met. And... We I, know I, people. We
0: can get them together right. in the yeah. same room. I mean, you know, I mean,
1: uh, yeah. we can call Iron Jack. Maybe we can work something. But, what, I, but <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that to your point, Scott, about these guys, you know, basketball players are in their own world. Volleyball players are in their own world. Football players are right. in their own world. You would think that, you know, they walk each other play, whether it be in TV or in person, but you would think those two guys would have crossed paths someplace. And they said yeah. to this point, they have not met each other which is to me yes. I thought was kind of funny.
2: It is. You know, and and when I was in school I just had flashbacks like Tracy Webster and Michael Finley were at school and on campus and um you very much get in your own world, right? I knew a couple of those guys. I I had a, I know Tracy and I met Michael. Michael was in I mean, he was a different level player in any sport that we had at the UW, maybe with the exception of hockey at that time, but um you don't have a chance to interact with them very much because you're so focused on school unless you have them in class. Um, but everybody goes their own place for practice. They have their own weight room for workouts. A lot of times their own training room. Um, you just don't interact very much with them because you're so focused on what you have to do and and the good or bad of it is right. The good is you get a chance to be on campus with some of these great guys. The bad is you don't have a chance to interact with them very much. Um, I, the one that really struck me when I saw this, you talk about different stories, was Auburn with uh, um, when you have Bo Jackson uh, trying to think the big hurt was down there, right? Yeah, Frank, Frank Thomas. Thomas and, yeah, yeah, and and so those two guys both played football together uh, and were both playing basketball or excuse me baseball together down at Auburn. Well, they get a chance to do that, and then here's Charles Barkley, not too shabby himself, is on campus at the same time. They didn't interact a whole ton, um, but as they got a little bit higher profile, you kind of you, you find those people because you gravitate to those people, right? You're going through similar experiences. And so hopefully these two guys, then with Johnny Davis with what he's done, his experience through USA Basketball, what Braylon's story has been coming out of high school early, as we all know, and, and doing what he did this year, um, hopefully you find a way to get those guys together because that, not only can that be a great um, – showcase for your university and for the uw as an athletic department you got two young men that are that appear to be doing things the right way um they can be great role models for a lot of people around here and um, adults included uh again to carry and shoulder that load that uh, i hope they find a way to do that that, <laughs> that you have know, two head coaches that are born and bred in the state of wisconsin hopefully find a way to get two other dudes that were born and bred in the state of wisconsin together and and to, to get to meet and know one another, because those those are the things that last forever. Um, but it's not very often you when you have a top tier running back and a top tier basketball player on campus at the same time
0: you mentioned charles barkley and frank thomas and bo jackson the best athlete was bo jackson and he's the only one who's not in his respective hall of fame he got right. uh, got cut short because of injury but frank thomas in the baseball yep. hall of fame charles barkley in the basketball hall of fame but bo jackson was the best athlete i may have ever seen
1: bo could just start his own hall of fame without a doubt yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he, yeah he could be a member of one
0: yes right. that's right <laughs> and nobody uh, else nobody else can, nobody else can yeah. be in it except bo <laughs> no 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 doubt about that. You mentioned the word foundation. I want to hit on that. And the foundation of Wisconsin football obviously has always been their running game. I want to touch on the defense in just a moment. But it started, I think, in a way that nobody had necessarily predicted. Ches Malusi was your starter. And you wondered when Jalen Berger was going to really get into the mix. It didn't happen. There were some off-the-field issues that led to his dismissal. And then all of a sudden, here comes this 17-year-old phenom in Braylon Allen. Ches gets injured and then it's the Braylon Allen show and I don't like necessarily making comparisons to the quote-unquote goat of Wisconsin football and certainly Wisconsin Badgers running backs but freshman year only and they have some similarities with their physicality but Braylon Allen versus the great Ron Dane just after one season after their freshman seasons Going back as much as you can remember about Ron, and I know your playing days were over when uh, he had gotten to UW, but he was a freshman sensation as well. How do you compare those two players, and I don't know if that's a harbinger of what's perhaps to come for Braylon Allen, but he started off his career in just a, a way that I don't think anybody would have and could have possibly predicted.
2: Yeah, I I don't think certainly to the the level. I don't even think you would say that about Ron. uh, If You you continue that comparison. Sure. Very, very similar path early in the year. Carl McCullough, I think, was a starting running back. Ron's freshman year. Um, Much like Malusi, a a little bit more of a seasoned veteran out of Clemson that transferred up here before Braylon took over. Um, Yeah, very, very similar. Um, I think Ron has a certain patience about him that Braylon is still learning. that, that I think is just a little bit more innate with the way Ron ran. And, and granted, his, his offensive line was ridiculous. Ron Danes, I mean, he had dudes across the front that I think all went to the NFL. Um, It, it was crazy uh, to watch him run and, and what he did early in, in, and often. And I, I think, if I remember right, they went to the Copper Bowl, maybe his freshman That's year, correct. and he yep. had you know, Hawaii. Yep. I think those back-to-back games, he had like 600 yards rushing between the two of them. Um, Ron was very deceiving, right? For as big as he was, was fast. And when he broke out, um, defensive backs didn't want to hit him. <laughs>
1: and rightfully so. Um, go low. So, I still don't want to yeah. hit Ron Day. Go low. Yeah,
2: go low, right? And we talked about that too, Tim, right? With, with the way Braylon has matured and grown as a running back, his patience, his ability then to see where the hole is supposed to be and then adjust with a jump cut to the outside or, or – um a stiff arm and just the the sheer strength that he had ron was not built certainly like braylon uh physically but ron was strong um just was deceiving braylon looks the the real part of a big 10 running back um he looks a big 10 defensive lineman if you wanted to be at this point um he he's really grown into to a patient runner um he's understanding things much more and, and Some of that, again, is understanding how do you fit it within the offense and the play calls that are there. What are you comfortable running with? What's your offensive line doing up front that's really, really good that we can continue to expose against the defense that you're playing? Um, But Braylon had to grow through some of those pains, and and his biggest thing towards the tail end of it was being durable, where Ron shouldered the load with a lot of carries uh, during his freshman year. Braylon started to break down, and that's one thing that we really have to watch, and how does this whole thing uh, continue for his career, and, and what, what legacy does he leave? Um, is, he, is he able to handle all that? Well, Ron was able to, um, and and I don't mean just mentally. I just mean the physical part of it, the abuse that, that your body takes through all this. Um, when you compare those two guys together. You can even throw in Melvin Gordon. You can throw in Jonathan Taylor. You can throw in Terrell Fletcher. You can throw in a lot of guys. Um, Anthony Davis, we've talked about him before. Tim, right? The,
1: yeah, he's great. The
2: number of people that's, as freshmen that have played at the UW here, um, it's a long list of some really, really good running backs. And Braylon's continuing that. And, and he's got a room of guys. Brady Shipper, thankfully, he he stepped forward and uh, got some carries to, to shoulder some of the load that he, Braylon had when Lucy got hurt. And then um, he, he, Julius Davis, I think, was another one, right? You started to see flashes of what what people were excited about with Julius. So I, I think there's a really good room in that uh, running back room that guys are going to challenge each other because it's competitive because um, there's some really good guys. But Braylon really separated himself this year with, with what he did. Um, very similar to Ron, but in – uh, the one difference is Ron, I think, was just a little bit more polished as a freshman. Now, that could be that year of difference, playing one more year in high school, too. Who knows? Um, but the growth that Braylon had from the beginning of the year to the end of the year uh, was night and day, uh, and really proud of him for for what he was able to do and and uh, his growth that he made in this season.
1: Right, real quick thought about the running backs, and I just want to focus on this season. Um, We talked a lot about this down the stretch, and again, ravaged by injury. The Malusi loss was huge to this team. Huge. But I was disappointed that the final couple of games of the year, when you know he wasn't going to be available, and you knew that Braylon was nicked up, we didn't see more of Julius Davis. Yep. You know, the the anchor kid out of Verona is one thing, and I know both of those backs got some opportunities. Both of them fumbled. But I just thought that they went away from Davis a little bit too much. I mean, he was again. We talking about Graham Mertz from a recruitment standpoint. I mean, this kid was a heralded recruit as well. He has fought through a lot of injuries uh, to get back in the football field. I get that. Maybe that stunted his growth somewhat. But I was disappointed he didn't get more touches down the end down down the stretch, especially when Braylon Allen was obviously dinged up.
2: Yeah, I, you know, good point, Tim. Um, and that's part of where it's hard because we we see what we see on Saturday we don't necessarily see what we see during the week, right, what coaches are seeing. And um, we don't know if that that was one fumble that they had during the game or if they see it multiple times during practice. Um, and we all know this same thing, too, from, from covering these guys long enough that if you don't protect the football, you're not going to play. Um, and so I, I think there's more to it than just those couple fumbles that we did see. I always go back to it, too, though. Okay, so a guy fumbles, he makes the mistake, but you don't ever go back to him and give him a chance to correct it. Um, that's how I would want to be coached. That's how I try and coach the kids I deal with. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that you understand I'm trying to help you improve, but this ultimately falls on you. But if you never give him that chance to, to correct it, um, it's hard to do so. And then that's where the mental side of things come into play. I, I don't disagree with you one bit down the stretch. Certainly in Minnesota, you could noticeably see Braylon was – was struggling um shipper wasn't doing very much like find a change of pace throw a guy in there and say here's your chance uh and then let him run See what see what he can do um i think julius when he was in high school was pretty unheralded at menominee falls and had a huge run and then backed it up with a few other big time runs and big time games and now he's on the national scene being recruited um he's dealt with some injuries like you said but um, between him and Aker and from Verona, I think those are two pretty dang good backups that you throw in Shipper, who's been around the program now for, what, three or four years. Um, that's some good backups that you can rotate through and, and give your number one guy uh, a chance to get healed up or a chance to rest at least on the sideline enough to go back in hundred as close to 100% as he could be.
0: I want to close with this, and I don't know what this says about how dependable Jim Leonard's defense has been, but we've gone almost an hour now without mentioning The Badgers' defense, and that was, finally. I I mean, my goodness gracious, I know as a former defensive guy yourself.
1: Backbone of the team. uh,
0: Well, uh, well, a thousand percent. Backbone of the team. Without their defense, where would this team be? Just an incredible performance. I mean, look, even the Penn State game, they only gave up 16 points. The the Notre Dame game, the, the Badgers as a team gave up 41, but a couple of those were pick sixes. I mean, the defense has done the job and then some all season long.
2: Yeah, it, it, I'll go quick, Tim, first. And I, I think when you have leadership in Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel, right, you've got a defensive line that's played together for a number of years. Um, Noah Burks, who came back as a super senior with a pretty dang good guy on the other side of him um, in Herbig. And then a somewhat of a veteran crew in the, the defensive backfield with guys that have played hit or miss here or there because of injuries, but a, a group that's played together for a while. Um Again, Jim, I think has done a tremendous job. I think Ross Kalaji, move from strength coach to the D line coach, helped that um, position tremendously um, down on the D line. And, and when you have success, guys are excited to play. Um, the only thing they were missing early on in the games was or season was was turnovers. They finally got that turned around. But you had some really good leadership in in Chanel. You had some good leadership in. Colin Wilder, you had good leadership uh, down the D line with geez, two or three different guys rotating through there, And the guys made plays. And Jim has always been, since he took over, a, a coach that's able to talk to his staff to put guys in position and throw different stunts and blitzes from different positions where you keep the offense guessing. And it's more or less an attitude defensively like, I don't care what you run, you have no idea where we're coming for, from, you better strap up your helmet a little bit tighter because you're going to get popped um and that's the attitude these guys played with um but again you can only do that for so long um before you need a little bit of help from your offense or your offensive special teams um he's a he's a quality coach i wouldn't be surprised if people are talking to him already trying to lure him away like we've seen the last couple of years but he's got a group of guys and players that that really were the, as you mentioned tim the backbone the strong leaders on this team to rally the guys um and find ways to win to not settle for just being average, but to, to to want to be great and have that desire to be great. Um, and that's the way they played and approached every week. From what I could tell, uh, you don't have a top defense, top five in every single category um, like we have without having some really talented players and a great scheme that they're able to execute.
1: It's interesting, too, we look at on the offensive side of the ball and you ask yourself, Doug, so how many of these players this season can play in the NFL? maybe one of the offensive linemen. Um, I mean, Braylon Allen eventually. sure. But yeah. other and than that, yet. it's yeah. kind of a push. But when you look at the defensive side, I mean, Chanel has got a decision to make. If mm-hmm. I mean, because he can go into the NFL draft if he mm-hmm. chooses to. I think when all is said and done, the guy that might be the best NFL player is Keanu Benton. Might be. I mean, you, you think about what Kenny Clark means to that Packer mm-hmm. defense. And with Great. him out the last two games suddenly teams could run the ball against the packers you think about how well those linebackers played scott none of that happens if you as you have taught me for 20 years if you don't have the guys up front holding point i think benton is special i think matt henningson had a special year i think what's lost when we talk about that defense is that defensive line they're deep and they play well together
2: yeah, I I think your point with Benton, right? And remember, he started as a true freshman yeah. too. So, um, yeah, he he's he's got the size, right? He's what six five or whatever he is. He's three a beast. Some he's, he's a got, beast, yeah, and he's, yeah. he's a he's
0: a former wrestler.
2: Yep. And 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 stood
0: next to him Evan, one time. He make me look. T- he makes me look <laughs> tiny.
2: There's two of you that could stand next to him. He still wouldn't. <laughs> <to him. So, laughs> he, he's a he's a. I had a chance to talk to him. He's a really good kid, very personable. Um, as you see probably on some of the videos, again, on some of the social media posts that they put out there. Um, just a fun-loving guy, um, but he gets after it. Uh, and I remember talking a number of years ago, Kevin Zeitler was a really good offensive line uh, lineman for the UW, maybe back in 2012. Uh, He's with 11, the Ravens 12. right now. Mm-hmm. Plays right yep. guard for the Ravens. Yep. Um, I asked him, I said, so as a, as a lineman, what's one piece of advice you'd give high school players? He said, wrestle wrestling was the best thing I ever did for my entire athletic career. Um, I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I learned so much about leverage and strength and and I might not be the strongest guy. You might be stronger than me, more quicker than I am. But if I knew how to position my body um, to stop you or to counteract and play, be a defensive minded offensive lineman, which I thought was a really interesting statement. um, You can do some great things. I think you see that out of Keanu and, and, his ability, and his approach, the quickness he has off the football um, is not like your normal nose guard, right? He, he's just explosive. Then you throw in Matt Henningson, former walk-on, who's worked his way into being a tremendous player. Tim, you and I said this earlier; he's played himself into some money and a chance at the yeah, NFL. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, then you throw in Williams. You throw in a number of other. Guys. They just have a really, really good defensive line that that certainly makes your linebackers look good. Now, I will say, Chanel and Sanborn are pretty dang good in and of their own.
1: Yeah, they've uh, done okay. But, yeah, they're okay.
2: Yeah, and and those are <laughs> two guys I think that will get a chance to play in the NFL. But you're right. I think the Keanu and those guys up front, um, that's a special group. Um, but, again, I think part of their growth has been because of Ross Kalaji having a chance. He's he got six or seven years in the NFL himself. Mm-hmm. He's your former strength coach. He's got a relationship with you already. So it wasn't some foreign new guy coming out of another program Um he was—he's born and bred like a handful of coaches up at the UW. Um, he's born and bred for for the UW and for Badger football, and, and I think he helped elevate their game um, with with the result of a, a tremendous defensive package that we had this season.
0: How deep in the night are you guys going tonight? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, I don't yeah, have a curfew. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, geez.
2: Um, I hope we. Uh, that's going to be a good question. I. I'm planning on 3 o'clock by the time I get home, but I don't know about that. I, I
1: know there's a couch in the hallway, so we'll be good. Yeah, we you have go.
2: to. You know I what? don't know if I can make her from there till the couch, though. That's no it, it will be just <laughs> like
1: when the Bucs won the championship, Doug, right? Yeah, well, there you we go. went all night on that. We just won't there be like go. Zabe, and we'll stay out of the bushes. It's an inside joke, but if you get it, you get it, right? <laughs> you know, get you know. Hell. Yeah. <laughs> Fellas, appreciate
2: yeah, it. we're talking about a Badger win. That's, a, that's the main thing, right? I got news for you, partner. I I,
1: I, yeah. I think we're going to see an angry bunch of Badgers. I do. I hope so. I think we're going to see so. an angry bunch of Badgers led by that defense. I'm predicting Wisconsin wins this game by at least two touchdowns.
2: Oh. All right. Yes. So no points, just a spread? Or uh, just a spread, no uh, score outcome?
1: Uh, Wisconsin wins the game twenty-eight to seven. I mean, you got
0: to have a spread.
2: It's All Vegas right. for crying.
0: Twenty-eight seven.
2: I was gonna, I was going to say twenty-seven ten. So we're close.
0: Okay. All right. All well, right. we will hopefully that uh, will come to fruition. Scott Nelson, Tim Scott, appreciate you guys. Nap time.
1: you got it. Yeah, naptime for you guys. <laughs> there they go.
0: Uh, and Listen to them after the game. Tim Scott and former Badgers defensive back and Rose Bowl champion Scott Nelson coming up after tonight's Las Vegas Bowl between Wisconsin and Arizona State.